All right. So if you've been doing marketing for a while, actually, it doesn't even matter if you've been doing it for a while, for a week or a decade, you know that Google Analytics just becomes like the bane of any marketing team's existence. It's a necessary evil. Something always breaks or it's not right, or you got to find a developer to help you set it up. And I looked it up because I wanted to mention it for this, but Google Analytics launched in November 2005, 16 years ago, and yet it's still the thing that most marketing teams uh, obsess over and get stuck with so much. But there's a better way, and that way is called Aribi. It's an awesome new company, Aribi.io. They got customers like Sony, Pizza Hut, Audi, Panasonic, and Sky. So what they do is really cool. They automatically capture every activity on your website. So imagine someone visits your blog. Oh, nope, didn't have to set up a tag for that. It just automatically captures. Someone visit your pricing page. Somebody did something on your website. You didn't have to go and set that up in advance, which is always the thing that drives me nuts. Ah, oh, we didn't have a goal set up for that. They'll automatically capture everything that's happening on your website and you can do it all without a developer. That is the selling point for me to not have to always beg my friends on the product team to do drug deals and get this stuff over the line. Once you connect your site, you can just start capturing everything your website visitors do. And you can even ask questions like, hey, do people, are people who read our blog, are they more likely to buy than other people? Or people who visit my pricing page, are they more likely to convert? than somebody else. It's awesome and you should totally check it out. And they're hooking you up with a great little discount, 20% off any plan. But most importantly, like to me, marketing is about simplifying the decision-making process. And if you can have someone that works 24-7 like an analyst on your team for you, which is what Aribi does, it's going to give you a huge benefit. So you can go and check it out, aribi.io slash DGMG, and you can start a free trial And if you use the coupon code DGMG, you'll get 20% off any plan. I'm launching a new site, dgmg.co, in a couple weeks, and I'll be using Aribi to track everything that I do. And I think you should go and check it out. So aribi.io slash DGMG, go and check it out, and hopefully you can say goodbye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. This is the place where I share B2B marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Dave Rigotti. Dave was VP of Marketing at Visible. Then Visible got acquired by Marketo, and he went to Marketo, and then he went to Adobe. And he is one of the smartest people out there when it comes to ABM and marketing ops. And this is the recording from a live session that we did with DGMG members. Super helpful. Dave's a really smart guy. I think you're really going to like this episode. Let's get into it. Hey, Dave, let's just uh, let's just chat for a little bit. Let's do your background. Let's get all that out of the way so we can talk about yeah. the, the meat. So why don't you give people, why don't you kind of run through your story starting back to, you know, you've sure. had a heck of a run the last <laughs> four, four or five years from, you know, Visible, Marketo, <clears throat> Adobe. So uh, give, give everybody the background while I get this sorted out. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone, for allowing me to come chat with you all. And thanks, everyone, who's been posting in the chat. It's cool to see everyone here and see the names, um, especially if I know you. Uh, would love just to like see you see you in the chat. It's always like nice to know who you're talking to. So 
keep those coming. It's great to kind of see the names. And so, um, yeah, my career kind of started at Microsoft for a while. I spent five years there, but knew that I just really loved startups and um, so started interviewing around, had a chance to, to join Visible as employee number, as the first marketing hire at Visible. You were the first marketing hire at, at uh, Visible. What was, it, what was the team like when you were at that size, at that stage? Yeah, it was um, a small team, just like two or three developers and then kind of two or three like, I'll call them like hustlers. They were sales, they were support, they were success. They were like everything that wasn't writing code. So yeah. I, I was almost like the first hire that was like dedicated to a function. And I learned a lot, just like HubSpot's, you know, free resources. That was like how I learned how to do my job. Were you uh, doing marketing before that or no? You know, I was, I was doing marketing at Microsoft, which is just like so different from a startup where, you know, we... I was like 23 years old, would have like a $5 million budget, you know, to start up. <laughs> it was like, okay, how much are we spending? It was like, I, th- I think the answer was like $5,000, like for the month, was oh, the, the budget. So I love it. So, to, so you it was, literally were figuring it out. Like you had to generate seven leads for the first time in your life and like give them the right. sales team yeah. and, and hear them call <laughs> those leads. And that's amazing. That's the best. I had a similar experience and that just, that to me, it changed my career as a marketer for sure. That's right. It like forces you to, figure things out. And that's like a skill that has stayed with me forever. Honestly, just how quickly can you, can you learn, pick things up and like know when to keep going or just when know when to say like, Hey, this isn't really working. Let's just, just kind of stop. So that was an amazing experience in the beginning. We ended up growing to over hundred employees. So my time at visible was about five or six years, ended up running the marketing function. We ended up getting to eight employees or something in marketing. We were doing all ABM. Uh, we had 40 BDRs, like heavy outbound kind of shop. So a lot of support in thinking about you know, how do we make BDRs more productive and then had the opportunity to exit to Marketo, um, which was a fantastic outcome for the company. I spent two years at Marketo, both under Marketo and then you know, Marketo got acquired by Adobe. So also under Adobe, but still working on Marketo running ABM for Marketo for the last two years and then just left to start my own startup. It's been a a wild journey going from a hundred employee company to 25,000 employee company under Adobe in a year. And it's, it's been a great, great run. (laughs) I love it, David. This is great because I think, look, I'm going to use this content in a ton of different places. B2B marketing leaders podcast. We'll use it for DGMGU, different parts, but I like talking to people who've done the work and mm. have recently done the work. And uh, yeah. so I'm, ex- I'm excited to like hang out with you for an hour. So I already got a million cool. questions. And look, hey, if you're on, if you're one of the 96 people here right now, uh, this is also about you. Everyone here is a DGMG member. And so I want to make sure you raise your, like the way we're going to do Q&A for this is raise your hand because it's always better to actually have somebody ask the question than put it in chat. So uh, we'll get to the <laughs> questions. I got a couple questions. Dave, my format is I'm hanging out. You just saw me yeah. banana, banana, like we're hanging out. So <laughs> I'm going to mix in questions, but also ask you some of my own. Um, and I got some questions right off the bat. So number one question is, let's talk about BDRs. Um, yeah. You had you just mentioned you were a marketing team of eight people. You had forty BDRs. Who should own BDRs? What did you do at Visible? And just like, what's your philosophy on that for people here? Yeah, for you know who who should own BDRs. I think it's the same. My answer is the same. Who should own you know blank? Like pick a team. Uh, marketing operations is like the team, but I hear a lot like it should it be sales ops or rev ops or what should that be? Um, so I hear that a lot for 
ops and for BDRs, but lots of other teams. I think my answer is like always the same. It's like whoever's going to care the most about them. The worst place is to be like just fit in a box um, because that's what everyone else does. But that leader just doesn't isn't the leader that's going to lean in. So whoever the leader is that's going to lean in is like a great kind of spot to be. I've yeah. I've been at companies where BDRs report to marketing and BDRs report to sales and nothing changed. Like the only thing that matters is like, is a leader going to lean in and support them? And like when they're busy, like are they going to ignore BDRs or are they going to keep that time? And so for me, that's always been the number one thing that matters. Being a part of sales is nice, like for career progression, if you want to like have progression into AE. So I think you always got to kind of think about that aspect, but I don't know if it matters. Uh, well, can you can still have you can still have progression if they're owned by marketing, right? You could just totally. It's a it's a you make the jump from you're in the marketing meeting to you know then you get promoted to AE and you're not. It's the same role. It's the same life, right? Totally. And it especially if BDRs are paired off with AEs, that like if you have like a one to one ratio or you have like target accounts that are owned by BDRs and AEs, they still get to know the BDRs really well and can kind of be that vouch for them when they want to become an AE. So you still get that. Under marketing, I've hired some BDR, former BDRs as like ABM strategists, and they're excellent. They just know they know the market so well. They're hustlers. They end up being like fantastic marketing employees. When BDRs aren't reporting to marketing, I don't notice them as much. So if you have a model where you're you're one to one with AEs and you're under marketing, it, it can open up more marketing jobs for a lot of BDRs. I love it because here's your first answer was whoever will care the most, but your second answer is marketing. <laughs> so ideally marketing, if somebody's going to care. But I, I do think you're right in that. Totally. Like, most of the tension comes from marketing doesn't, they're in sales and marketing doesn't feel like, because we're not, there's no salespeople here. This is marketing people. But like marketing feels like they're owned by sales and sales isn't using them the right way. And so that does kind of check the box of, of your question, whoever will, whoever will care the most. How do you, how do you use BDRs? as a marketing channel. Can you, yeah. can, you, can you break that down? Because I think like the question I was going to ask you is really like, <laughs> isn't good ABM early on just like good outbound email? And so how do you, yeah, how do you think is. of BDRs <laughs> as a marketing channel? Like I think of podcasting yeah. as a marketing channel. How are BDRs a marketing channel in this world? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Like BDRs are a channel. Like I, I do think of BDRs in a similar way as as ads, like you can, you can hire more BDRs and get more pipeline, just like you can spend more on LinkedIn ads and get more, more pipeline. Now it's, you know, there are humans, like it's still, it kind of comes back to like our philosophy of visible. So those that don't know, visibles is a B2B marketing attribution kind of measurement reporting product. So it helps you tie all of your marketing activities and BDR activities to pipeline into revenue. So we were like, uh, given that was our product, we were obsessed with thinking about outcomes of our marketing, not just the the marketing activity itself. So for us, like generating leads, sure was like kind of a goal, but it's like a, like a tier four goal. And the number one goal was revenue, but a close second was always pipeline. This is true yeah. for like how Marketo thinks about it too. What so when you're meeting? like, what about meetings? Does meetings fall after pipeline? Meetings falls after pipeline, but highly correlated to pipeline. And most meetings like kick through the pipeline anyways. But, and so when you start to think about, okay, like what's, if like I'm really focused on pipeline, what's the thing that's going to get me the most pipeline? Like it just kind of changes your thinking. And I always thought of BDRs as a 
as a channel or as a tactic to get to pipeline. And so early on, we didn't, we actually didn't even have BDRs as visible. So we focused a lot on like kind of classic, like content marketing, lead generation, and then over time, like more, more and more into ABM. And instead of spending dollars, we would certainly spend dollars to generate leads, but we started thinking about it. Like, how can we spend dollars to support BDRs and make them more productive? Like if they can go from four opportunities a month or five opportunities a month from outbound to six, that just like, that changes the ROI on everything. Um, I saw you, I saw you had a huge... tweet. You had a tweet like yesterday or the day before I was looking at your Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And you, you tweeted something about like investing in BDR, you know, happiness or productivity, because if you can get one more meeting out of each BDR, that could be your quickest path to 25 more meetings next month. Not like, hey, let's run an event and spend a hundred grand, you know? It's true. Yeah, it's true. And you can like do that tomorrow. Like we would go... We had a, essentially a, a full-time person at a hundred person company. And then like Marketo certainly had this role too, of just like a marketing person who's dedicated to PDR success. And I don't necessarily mean that from like a training perspective. I mean, like an enablement perspective, like do they have things like reviewing outreach sequences, see what's performing and make sure that other BDRs can understand that. And that's kind of being shared across the organization. Things like, hey, do they have the right number of inbound leads? And if not, like either how do we get them more or how do we help them do better outbound? And there's like tons of tactics there that you can do to, to make them more effective from even just like, do they have the right accounts? Do they have enough accounts? Is the account quality great? Do they, we were huge fans of direct mail, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. And so there's just so much you can do with BDRs if you get friendly with them. And then even like, this is like my favorite part with partnering with BDRs is they're talking with prospects every day. They're the best feed in into product marketing and marketing messages that you have. Salespeople, they're already opted in. You send a million, like if somebody sends a million email, I think like marketer, we live in a bubble sometimes, right? If it's like, (laughs) dude, that's cool that you marketers think this message works, but like I literally spend, I just sent a 500 emails the last seven days and no one's responded. So who should, you should tell me this message is not right. Like, Yes, exactly right. And if you're only leaning on AEs for input into your messages and product marketing, you just have this selection bias or this like confirmation bias. You're only talking to people that have already bought into your message at the top of the funnel. So everyone that's not opting in, like you want to convert those two. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, this sucks because now you're the host. So you got to tag it. You're going to go in, you're going to add Daniel Cardona so he can allow him to talk. But I'm also going to ask you a follow-up question while, <laughs> while you do that, because there's a great <laughs> message in chat uh, from Gargi, which talking about BDR enablement. And that, that's really what you're talking about, Dave, right? Which is like, yeah. B, which is BDR enablement. Can you just, before we go to you, Dan, um, Daniel, can you just say a little bit more about like what's in the BDR? Cause I struggle with this too. Like somebody needs to do sales enablement. What, what does that mean? What does BDR enablement right. mean really? What's in the toolkit and, and who owns that? Who owns BDR enablement? Yeah, I think um, marketing needs to own the BDR productivity toolkit, if you will. Sales is great at the kind of soft skills enablement. And uh, yeah, like objection handling, like that should be under sales. That training should come from sales. Or somebody, in, if it's marketing, at least somebody that has that that background or is from the kind of sales team. But marketing marketing teams are really good at tactical enablement, trying new things constantly. And so I always come back to, yeah, it should be marketing who's thinking about like, do they have these these kind of tools and 
I say tools, like it might mean like a technology. It might just mean like, like accounts. Like, is it easy for them to like see their accounts in Salesforce? If they're having to like export into a spreadsheet as a easier way to call down their accounts every day, like that's broken. Go fix that. Yeah. That takes sitting with the reps, right? Which is like, totally. Hold on. Can I just, can I sit with you for a little bit? Just show, take me through your day. And I sat not... with BDRs. Like when I moved to go sit with the BDRs, like I would just hear like channel, like problems and I would just go fix them. And yeah. it ended up being like the best kind of team to sit with as a, as a marketing team. And then like marketing teams just have more budget. Like you can, like a, it's hard for a sales team to go get budget for some technology for BDR enablement is harder than a marketing team. Okay, let's go to Daniel. Go ahead. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for your time. This is amazing. Hey. Um, <laughs> greetings from the Taco City. So there is a, a thing about whenever you're thinking in, in, in marketing leadership principles, right? Like whenever you're running a team or you up into a team, whether it's from 100 people to 25,000, um, yeah. does those principles change? Or do you think that the way to manage all the the teams are, are like, it depends on, on the ties of the company or it's just the basic principles are the same and just um, transform them throughout the, the companies. They yeah, change, good, they got to change, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Think about it. How are, are you, Dan, you're talking about like a, a marketing organization? Uh, so I'm thinking in perspective of, let's say um, a marketing department, right? So you start with 100 people and then you grew up. So uh, Dave went through, worked through Adobe, but yeah. principles through leadership or coaching, do they change or do they more within the team gets bigger and bigger? Yeah, they change, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like uh, my career was doing the work and then managing people doing the work and then managing people, managing people doing the work. And it just changes. I ended up like, you know, spending more time on hiring and recruiting and motivating than, than actually getting in and, and doing things. But I think the thing that never changes and should never change is who you are and your personality and like lean into those as a leader, just because you see a leader that you have known and respect. Like I always find that like trying to emulate them is like worse <laughs> and just being authentic has been the the number one thing that's been helpful for me as I've taken on bigger and bigger teams and the things that I like respect out of leaders. And then when you get to like, you know, I've not managed beyond like a, a manager of manager, but I assume at like some point it just is like people are just numbers, which is, you know, unfortunate, <laughs> but necessary. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Um, if I can add something else, sorry. Of course. Uh, there, there was an, an, an episode of DG was talking about in order for you to lead a team, you got to show the work, right? You got to prove them that you're able to deliver. So do you think that what's this, the balance between whenever you're trying to get a point or, or writing a landing page or just writing principles, mm. what's the stake on that versus letting others do the work? It always helps. Like it's always helps if you've been there. That's been true for me. I always practice like servant leadership. Like I, I even though like people report to me, I always, I still feel like I'm reporting to them. So like whatever they need to get it done, like I'll, I'll jump. Like if it means me jumping in and doing the work for them or, or helping out or just kind of giving them the resources, like that's what I always do. But certainly like if you've done it before, like it adds a lot of credibility for managing teams, like even just like getting jobs and, you know, people care about that stuff on, on resumes a lot. 
it, it um, also like it depends on your skill set i think as a marketing leader and also the mix of your team and so like if you have a team of 10 people you're gonna have to hop in more than if you have a team of a thousand people but even still i think that I did a podcast with Leela, the CMO at SurveyMonkey, mm-hmm. a couple months ago. She has a, she has, you know, not not Adobe size right. team, but like she's got a hundred plus person team. And she yeah. said, uh, she she before I remember before the interview, she was like, oh, I just was working with the team on the he- the homepage headline, and it's like, you know, there, there there's right. always going to be some things. It's like Steve Jobs and his passion for marketing at Apple. It's like that guy always cared about the color of the stage at the event release headline. And so there's some level of that, but also what's your background. And so for me, I am not the like tech stack guy. I'm the brand product marketing headline guy. And so I got to know that when I'm going to pop in somewhere, is it where I can, where I think that I am great. And I do think I'm great at that like finding the hook, writing copy. And so it's like, I would be doing a disservice to the team and the company if I'm not hopping in in those places. So I think you, you usually got to pick and choose where if you're coming from the other side of it and you're just going to get in just because you're the marketing leader, like that's how you get everybody to hate you. That's what we did too, Dave. I am the like tech guy, like I'm a demand first marketer and like very much recognize that. And so we hired a, a fantastic VP of product marketing at, at this role named Jen Steele to like own that function. And it was just a good, you know, I wasn't good at it or, or wasn't as great as like we needed. And so, you know, recognize that and just like let somebody else own it and just focus on what I'm really good at. And that was the best thing at the end of the day. Yes. All right, Daniel, nice. Let's go to, uh, Dave, why don't you throw all those people, why don't you allow Andrea, Diego and, and Elena to talk and then we can we can yeah. flip through them and i'm gonna I'll, I'll, before we get there let's go we'll go to a question in q a from uh kathy in chat just as it's related oh, cool. to this which is how do you keep people from feeling like you're always correcting their work correcting their work so like as a manager uh, yeah. as a manager right you're like you're, you're being manager dave rigotti how do you how do you make it feel like you're not correcting their work i have an answer but i want to i want to hear yours yeah i think um there are sometimes it's worth correcting the work like and sometimes not worth correcting the work, even if you want to. And that's been like one of the hardest things to know and learn over time has been when is it worth doing that? And when is it worth not to? Oh. The times when I don't, the more that I don't do that, I end up getting more surprised. Like when people can, that don't think like I am, like I do, like it ends up, a lot of times it ends up being better work. <laughs> so like Dude, the, the, longer- the, ro- the ROI on that comment alone is insane. I just want, I'm going to interrupt you to pause on that because that's a hundred percent the key to scaling, right? Which is right. like, if you feel like you have to write every email, rewrite every email, every headline, every blog post, mm. every, every whatever, I forget where, who told me this one time, but somebody said to me, Dave, cause I'm super type A, I got to do it all. Right. Somebody said to me, Dave, you got to understand that there's more than one way to achieve this goal here. Totally. And that was like, oh, you're right. And so you have to know what things to redo and what things to not, right? And ultimately, you should let right. the results decide. If you, I'm going to let this go and see what happens and it works, great. Good lesson for everybody. Right. It's true. Like, especially at startups and, and in tech companies, like momentum matters a lot. And if you can default to kind of just people's opinions and not have to, have everything run through you or, or even just have people question, should this be something that 
you know, we discuss, you'll just make decisions so much faster and you'll get something out and you'll like, you'll learn and you'll adjust. And just that momentum and that iterative process is way better than me like weighing in, but it's it's hard and I'm still learning. (laughs) Oh, it's so, it's so hard. It's like the hardest part about being a manager is like, knowing when to manage and not, you know, cause you're always like, ah, right. I'm going to piss everybody off if I do this, but <laughs> you also can't go too far the other direction, which, and, and this is also a mistake that I've made in my past, which is the easiest thing is to just be upfront with new people and be like, look, it's going to feel like I'm on your ass for the first three months. <laughs> and like, not in a bad way, but it might feel like I'm correcting everything. And that is so weak. I, I think people don't do a good job because they don't artic- they, they don't set that expectation up front, but then they also don't explain where it's coming from. And so in my case, I'm like, totally. look, I have a very particular way that I like to do things. I've seen success in XYZ. Trust me, yeah. here's how this is going to work. So in the first 90 days, I'm going to be super hands-on, but I've told you that. And so when I'm doing it, you're not like, fuck this guy. You're like, oh, okay, this is what I expected. However, the goal is to get to a place in month six where like, I haven't talked to you in four weeks and you're just absolutely crushing it. And like, that's that's a place that everybody wants to be at. And so like, it's worth setting that expectation upfront and investing that time early on. Totally agree, man. This episode of B2B Marketing Leaders is brought to you by DGMG. That's my members only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, campaign ideas, and more. I see people ask questions about hiring, team structure, ad targeting, copy feedback. It's incredible. And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing stuff too. I feel like it's a group of people I want to be around to get better as a B2B marketer too. And because you're here listening to B2B marketing leaders, you can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. And then after that, it's 10 bucks a month. And it's super easy to expense. You could even do an annual. It's like 100 bucks a year. Makes it really easy to send to your CFO. Flies under the radar. It's 100 bucks. It's really easy. But there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day. And you can go in there daily. And you can even go and see all the content from last year. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you will go in there and you'll be like, huh, I get what Dave was talking about. I know you'll see the ROI from the community alone instantly. And even more so now that you can get in there for your first month for just a dollar. So there's a special link link in the show notes of this show where you can go and sign up for a dollar. Go and check that out. Let's bring in some other people. All right, let's go. Uh, Let's go to Andrea first. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking my question. Um, So I have one around ABM attribution and scaling. So I'm going to just kind of break you, rock you through my, uh, my current challenges in front of me. So I, I just came from a a sort of startup restart organization that grew 10 X in about 18 months. We did not do attribution. Um, we really had an account-based approach that was well orchestrated between marketing, SDR, and and sales. And all of our reporting was very programmatic based. So we just got acquired by a bigger player who has a ton of excitement around ABM. And I've been kind of tasked to scale that. They use visible, which I think is great. They've got a good, good foundation there. So I'm, I'm, you know, I think there's just some breakdown happening with, within ops, marketing ops and, and how to apply attribution to ABM. So Dave, I was wondering if you maybe have a theoretical answer or even an an answer for how you took visible to Marketo or maybe even the Marketo piece to Adobe to share how, how scaling works. Yeah, totally. And I'm happy to like spend more time after 
do you want to get into your own like into more specifics like i always happy to jump on the phone awesome. the the broadly applicable answer is if you're thinking about like attribution of of like cdrs and abm and marketing as different things it's broken like there's no pipeline if you're doing abm you should be having bigger deals and these bigger deals should have many touches there's no no single dollar of pipeline that you generate that wasn't touched by marketing and that wasn't touched by BDRs. And so trying to kind of split out thinking about EBM versus like BDRs versus marketing ends up being like an exercise to nowhere. It's like, you'll never, you'll never be satisfied. And uh, visible and then at Marketo, it, we just always thought about like kind of, we were talking before about like channels and we can track uh, BDR activity and visible, like their calls and their emails. And so we would kind of use that too, but it's all just kind of one funnel and one mix and ended up just being like, whatever's working, let's just double down there. And we feel like it's, it's kind of overall not working that great. Let's back off. Like trade shows weren't working that great. So we, we backed off of trade shows and we, we said, Hey, let's go more in LinkedIn ads and let's go more in, you know, direct mail for BDRs. But we never really, at either company try to split out that much of ABM versus non-ABM. Like even if you're full, I've never met a company that is only doing ABM. And even if they're doing Fortune 500, they only go after the Fortune 500, they're still like sending an email. And it's like, like is an email ABM? Like not really, it's kind of like demand gen. So I don't know, I'm happy to go deeper, <laughs> but I would just think about it as just their pipeline instead of ABM versus something else. Makes a ton of sense. Thanks for, I appreciate your insight. Uh, let's go to Elena. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Um, I have a bit of a follow-up to an earlier point in the discussion where we were talking about enablement. And it's around this new context of, you know, you've got remote teams, BDRs working from home. Um, in your experience or in what you've seen, uh, what's been a good kind of like mix of what's worked and what hasn't worked? on like resources and tools for them in this new kind of context of you can't do things as you were doing them before. Right. Yeah. Great, great question. At Visible, all of our BDRs were, well, the entire company was out of one office. So you could just walk around and just know what everyone's working on. You could just hear what they're saying. It was much easier to kind of stay connected to BDR productivity and enablement. At Marketo, I mean, even like before COVID, it was a pretty distributed team. There's uh, folks in the Valley. I'm in Seattle. There's a big office in Denver, Portland, some folks in, you know, in other, other cities too. So it ended up being just like a different environment to kind of stay in touch with the PDRs. Some of the kind of more tactical things we do is certainly like call recording. I don't remember if we, I think we use chorus, but there's chorus, there's gong. Can even like use Otter or something like that if you just if you don't want the full kind of Salesforce connection or use something else that doesn't connect into your you have a different CRM. But going through the call recordings as like a marketing leader and even just having the demand teams just listen to these calls so helpful. And like if if your team is remote or you're all in one office, like whenever COVID's over, that should be an exercise that you just that we just do. Um, some of the best time I've spent is to to listening to those to those calls, both calls that converted and calls that didn't convert. So that was always the number one thing for me. And then from like a a BDR productivity perspective, like 
BDRs were always the most productive when it wasn't a task marketing was assigning to them. It was something that was driven by them. A great example of this is like direct mail. I, when I first started doing direct mail a number of years ago, it was like very marketing directive. It directed, it was like, hey, BDRs, go do this. Go send this thing to these prospects and follow up. And like, as we probably all know, like when you kind of do that, you get like less than ideal engagement. If you say like, hey, go follow up all these webinar attendees or something like probably won't. And so we ended up always kind of thinking about from a BDR perspective, like, hey, let's let them choose the people that they should send these to, that they should send these direct mail boxes to. And they do like 10 times better job getting on them, feeling like they own it. It's their decision. And we're just kind of supporting them with like what they're sending. We're way less directive about how they operate. And it's kind of like an unintuitive answer where it's like actually like being some more hands-off was a better enablement thing for BDRs because it generated a lot of focus on ownership and just an ownership mentality uh, than being too prescriptive uh, from a marketing perspective. No, that's an interesting answer. Reflecting a little bit on what you were saying on having to live with the team who cares or have marketing on them. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's just about who who cares the most. And if you see them as like cogs and you're like, just, you're not like willing to trust the team and and empower them and and help them have an ownership mentality that you're not, it's not the right thing for them to be on for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. That's a great answer. Yeah. All right, let's go to Diego and then we can tag uh, Tom in. And I got a bunch of good ones in, in the Q&A that we'll get to also. Cool. Hey, uh, Dave and Dave. Uh, thanks for, for taking the time. My, my, question, my question is, how do you convince executives to move BDRs into marketing? Because right now they're under sales. <laughs> and I think we have the typical discussion of like, you know, the volume is too big. The leads are not qualified enough, but you don't call them quick enough. And, and it's like <laughs> that typical discussion. And I think uh, we're struggling with, uh, what what's the best approach to convince executives <laughs> that we in marketing need to own BDRs so that we can actually improve metric conversions, quality of lead, and all of that? Like, what? How do you approach that? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me ask this way: Do you feel like if if BDRs are reporting to marketing, that any of that's going to change? Like, is that going to change the leads or the volume? Like, is that is that changing anything from marketing, or just change who BDRs are reporting to? I think it's going to change, uh, one, the information that they're collecting so that we can make better decisions and also scripts and have more empowerment, I guess, into how they're prospecting and not pushing everyone you, into immediately yeah. to sales, right? Yeah. I think you can do that without them reporting to marketing. Like you can do that today. Like if you can feel like you can do that when they're reporting to marketing, like you could probably do that, get started with that. I mean, today. It's also easy. Just make sure, make sure that I've made this mistake too. Like, cause you're not just signing up for having BDR. When you're signing up for having BDRs in marketing, that means you're signing up for BDR happiness, performance, uh, HR issues. HR issues. That's all on your plate. And so it's actually the ideal scenario is they're great in sales, but you can influence them in marketing as a channel. Yeah, that's right. Some of my favorite things to do in this case, though. Diego is, I like to let BDR leaders and the sales leader have control over like volume and quality. So if they're like, Hey, these leads aren't good enough. It's like, great. Okay. I can send you less leads, but there'll be better leads and, and kind of give them that lever between like quality and quantity. And like, actually like say like, Hey, here's where we're at on the scale. Like 
which way do you want to move that? And it, it changes, it changes their perspective like very, very quickly, you know, on that. But if you're like set on them reporting to marketing, I mean, have a conversation with the sales leader and just say like, how's it going? Like, do you like having the PRS report to you? Would you rather just kind of focus on, on AEs? And a lot will be like, yeah, I just want to focus on AEs. Like I'm have heavy, heavy comp on revenue. And if I can just focus on closing deals, like I'll probably get paid more. Um, so a lot are like not that tied to owning BDRs, but I don't know if it's going to solve your problems to be like completely frank with you. <laughs> no, thanks. I think you, you gave me a better idea and just try to figure out how to influence them and not own it. I think that's a, best, <laughs> a better approach. <laughs> how is marketing gold? <laughs> how is marketing? Like, what's the goal of marketing? Like, is it to generate leads or pipeline or revenue or how, how is marketing measured? Uh, it's leads right now. And I think it needs to yeah, move into meetings and, and revenue. And I think that's a big issue as totally. well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like when you're hey, tied to leads, like you're going to hit more leads and right. uh, you're going to like run into this. If you like had the same exact, I like to have the same exact goal as BDR quota. Like if BDRs are signing up for like a hundred, hundred meetings a month or whatever, like that should be marketing's goal too. And you can do that like regardless of who's reporting into to who. And on, on top of that coming from Dave, like, Anytime the mark, if you're the marketing person, you're going to the sales team and you're like, "Hey, guy, hey, hey, I want to change. I want to change how we're gold. I want to be gold on meetings." Every sales team is going to love that. Like, yeah. <laughs> and and so I think I think like one totally. way to close the gap, one way to close the gap, Diego, is just be like, "Look, like maybe you don't even have to approach the BDR thing. Be like, look, I I want to influence meetings. I want to be measured by meetings. Measure me by meetings. Yeah. Here's how we're going to measure ourselves by meetings. Now, because I now own meetings." I'm going to need X, Y, and Z out of the BDRs. And we think that we can get X, Y, and Z out of them if we do those things. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Cool. All right. Let's tag in. Uh, <laughs> hey, Dave, my my guest, <laughs> my, my, my talent and webinar host, can you put Tom and Jell yeah. in there? Jell, I don't know how to say it. And then we can get these fine folks hey, out Dave. of here. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good to yeah. see you. Hi. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, like I'm in a unique position. I, I took over sales and marketing um, oh, cool. I, on the sales side. Um, so I appreciate the piece around like managing team not stepping in. I'm the type A, like drive, drive. <laughs> I've already been kicked in the face a couple of times. So I learned lesson. Thanks for the, the advice on just like structure. But uh, in regard to like BDRs, um, we had a situation where we, we're like, we don't have our BDR team anyway, anymore. And um, I've found over the last like five and a half years, and I've typically come from an organization where it's owned in sales and uh, the techniques, the tactics, they're just not like working from calling to, you know, and, and this was like strictly outbound. We would do some like soft touch and like, hey, we have a webinar, so let's do a call down list and like connect to sell. But the tactics aren't working and, you know, either it's, you know, find our company, our message, our product, right? That could be the issue. But I'm also seeing, you know, there, there's thousands of companies, SaaS companies. So, like, what are the tactics you're using to break through the noise? And, um, like, I'm I'm outsourcing and I have these two people who can, like, mm. act like 10 people and do hyper-personalization. That seems to start to be working. But uh, I guess the question is... Like, what do you see working right now? Because yeah, market's changing fast and things I did like six months ago don't even work. Yeah, that's fair. I should qualify my perspectives to say they're all like tech and they're all like B2B SaaS. So it might be different across industries and I'm, I'm sure it is. 
I'm like a, a big no on outsourcing PDRs. I'm like, they're your brand, they're the front line of information into the into your prospects. And the best PDRs have an ownership mentality. And it's really hard to have that ownership mentality and them not to have equity in the company for them not to feel like they're gonna have career progression. And so from just like a motivation standpoint, like I've tried outsourcing the amount of effort it took for me to to get something out of it was just like not worth it. And so I'm yeah, a huge I'm fan a, of like- I've been 100% alive on that. And yeah. uh, I do have a unique situation where these two individuals are really good at like the outbound email messaging. Cool. Like, but yeah. uh, I think it's more like, even if I had the like the best situation with like fully ramped SDRs, what is anybody like seeing that's really working like cold call outbound or like messaging? Cause there's a ton of noise and it's uh, so I'm just curious. And and I know there's like yeah. no singular answer, but. <laughs> yeah, I could share what's working for me. So one is just like a methodology of how much to put behind BDR enablement. So I'd always start for everything with like a reverse waterfall. So if we needed $1 million in revenue for the year, that means we need 5 million in pipeline, uh, assuming we have a 20% close rate. That means we need, then that translates to X meetings or X opportunities, Y meetings, and, and you can just kind of go up from there. So anytime like our goals went up or down, the amount of BDRs we need and then the like support we'd, we'd put behind kind of BDRs changed. So like from a marketing budget perspective, we actually at Visible had a tie to BDRs. And if we were going to go hire a BDR next month, we would start spending a little bit more marketing budget this month to go help kind of generate some demand for them. And then as the BDR team like grew, we would spend like a couple thousand dollars a month per BDR on their enablement. And so we'd always think about it kind of that way. The other thing on just like what worked, well, this is true for. So just on that, is that like, so you're you're getting like opt-ins, right? On some type of piece of content and then having the BDRs fall down in that specific content. Yeah, yeah. And for both Visible and Marketo, there's still like a lot of outbound. At Visible, we were like 50% outbound. And I'll define outbound as like a lead. It could be a cold lead that just like has engaged with us for a few months or just like like a true true outbound. Now from like tactics, like I love LinkedIn ads um, because you can target specific accounts. And I loved, I love direct mail. Like we do a lot of direct mail. But the number one thing that always matters is the list of accounts that you're going after. And it like, it's when I like advise startups that are like getting started with ABM, like, the list you generate is this ceiling of how good of a job you can do with either BDRs or ABM. Like you can't go do better than that. And so I always tell like marketing teams spend 10 times more on the effort you're putting into the list, the call list. If you're like a 50 person company, like the CEO should be involved in that. And it should be like a CEO level thing that that's being worked on. And then 10 times less in like, what's our marketing campaign or what's our like marketing message to like for this ABM campaign. I see a lot of like companies think about like it as a big initiative and I pretty much have never seen an ABM campaign equal more than its parts. And it's you like being iterative on the tactics and doubling them there is like better than thinking about like, 
okay, we're going to have this big multi-channel campaign and we're going to take them on this journey. But like the reality is like nobody ever goes on that journey and it doesn't matter as much as like people tend to think it is. But the list matters 10 times more than people think. Like 50% of my job is running ABM was like the website field. Like, do we have the right website in these like accounts? Because like everything powers off a website. Are these companies still in business? If not, like how do we like filter them out so our BDRs don't have to call into businesses that don't exist and just like hyper-focus on on that piece. Love it. I'm going to, I'm going to hop in cause we got to, I got to keep us moving, but th- yeah. this is great. This is great. Cause this is like the non-fluff, right? Like, Hey, the number one reason might be the list, spend the time on the list. At the end of the day, it's always going to come down to the list and the offer. And so that's right. if you're also, if you're sending a shitty email or something that's not compelling, <laughs> right? Like if you were sending outbound email, that says like, Hey, I'll, I'll give you uh 200 grand worth of Bitcoin. And it was real. People, <laughs> people would open it and respond. So like, I think the messaging matters. Messaging matters a lot, a lot too. Uh, right. Okay, let's let's kick it over to uh, Gel. How do you say? How, and can you tell me the right way to pronounce your name so I can give you? Can I can give you that? It's uh, it's Yella, Dave. Yella. Yella. Hi. Yeah, this difficult Dutch name. You can call me whatever you want Hi. now. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're, we're gonna go here, and then I and then we got a bunch of uh, we'll, we'll tag in Elizabeth, and then we're gonna hammer home on the Q and A, and we'll wrap up. Um, yeah. So a bit of a question uh, following up on 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 the previous one. Um, what if you don't have BDRs? Because I, I work for an enterprise company. Uh, it's an industrial manufacturer, so it's really old school. We still print uh, very thick brochures with our products. But uh, the company itself, it's, it's sort of a perfect fit because we do multi-million uh, projects for really large companies. Um, multi-touch, it just takes a really long time. So ABM would be a really good fit. But yeah, there's just this huge chasm between marketing and, and sales where BDR normally fits in. So how would you go about if, yeah, if you don't have BDRs and the company's not yet bought into that? Yeah, fair, fair question. Tough challenge you have. <laughs> what I've like typically seen for companies that have a similar setup to you is what a tech company would put on the plate of a like a BDR is is like a traditional AE at a company like that. So like field sales, like in tech, like enterprise sales, it's still just somebody at a desk like all day, but it, it's like <laughs> not that different, but like, you know, enterprise sales at a, at a company with brochures, like they're like getting out in the field. They're actually like knocking on doors. And it's like a similar thing to BDRs, just maybe like a different mechanism for like how you could do that. So I've not worked at an environment like that. Um, so I don't have like great, great like advice. But, uh, you know, you, maybe you can think of the AEs as like BDRs and think about like, how do you go kind of support them and how do you make them productive in their outbound efforts? Because I would highly imagine that they're, they're doing that. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Hey, Elizabeth, how are you? I'm great. Uh, thanks for, thanks for, hi. I'm so glad I, hi, I'm so glad I can scooch in here at the end. Um, I've heard you, <laughs> I've heard you mentioned uh, direct mail several times and I'm just really curious to hear some stories about your experience because it's just, it's an, like, we're, we're always constantly, we're constantly thinking like, it's gotta be digital. It's gotta be digital. It, it would just be great to hear about a successful. Yeah. And, and Dave, campaign. I'm going to throw one question on top of that, that Elizabeth made me think of. And what's changed with direct mail and COVID now that you're not, cause you, you can find anybody's, it's harder to send somebody's home right. address. So how, how are people adapting to that would be my add in. Yeah. So yeah, huge fan of direct mail. My journey started, I'll like tell this story so you can, you can know what I've tried and failed at because it was, it's an iterative process. So 
it started like five years ago. We like printed some boxes. Pat, we got, got all the BDRs, like packed some boxes in the office. It was like 80 boxes. And I'm like, this is going to be great. We're going to kill it. How clever is this? We like sent them out. And then like nothing happened. And it was like, okay, you know, we need to think more about the, like what happens after you send these boxes. So then started to think about like the BDR pieces. So the kind of next effort was like, okay, let's do something similar. I mean, these boxes had like some chocolates in it and just like some chashis. And then it was like, okay, let's have the BDRs follow up on it. Okay, great. Doing a little bit better. And then the next box was like a fake Amazon gift card. And it was like, give us a call back and we'll load the gift card for you and give you like, if you book a meeting with us, we'll give you, yeah, we'll give you 50 bucks. So like highly transactional. And again, like we were like a company very focused on transactions and attribution and that worked real well. <laughs> the BDRs spent a lot of time following up with them and trying to convert those meetings and the prospects had like a reason to take the meeting. A lot of them just wanted the 50 bucks, but it worked. Uh, we were sending whew, maybe a thousand boxes a month out like that. And then, and then after that, and this is still like the same box to everyone. When it, also when you're like doing that or you're where you're having physical boxes you're sending with items, like we would never do alcohol. We would never do something where it like um, not everyone drinks. So we would always try to do something that would apply to everyone. And when you do that, like just just like an email or copy, like it works because you're kind of doing it at scale, but it's um it's not that personal or relevant to that person. So we started to get like even more clever about it. We'd actually like buy something off Amazon. Um, we'd have it sent to a warehouse. We'd have it repackaged. And then we would send it to the prospect. So every kind of prospect got like something different. And then at the kind of tail end of my, my direct mail journey, and this is at Marketo now, we got a vendor called Alice.com. And I'm like a huge fan of this company. First of all, like some of the best people I've ever worked with in tech, just like, like really great people. It's great people. And then um, a great product. So Alice, um, instead of one kind of bad thing with direct mail is, you know, you send a thousand boxes, you might get like maybe 10% of the people might kind of bite back. So it's like not great for like environments, the environment and budget. And it's not like a, it's a very spray and pray kind of model. Alice is perfect for work from home in, in office too. Instead of sending the box out or the gift out, at the beginning, you can do it virtually. Like you can send a link in the email and says, Hey, would love to send you a package. Can you click this link, fill in your address and Hey, to, to claim your, your gift, like we'd like to book a meeting with you. Um, Alice even has some like clever things. Like a lot of companies can't accept gifts. So you can, instead of accepting a gift, you can donate it to a charity or you can just, you know, decline it altogether. Do you have a rough, um, he, do you have a rough benchmark for what the conversion rate is on that? The, the opt in to the gift? Uh, yeah, we would see like, like roughly, right? Yeah. Yeah, It was like, um, bad campaigns would convert at like three or 4%. Great campaigns would convert at like five to 8%. And so when the box is like to meetings, so like if you, if you send a hundred of those emails, that's like, Hey, you got a free gift from Alice. 8% of that people would actually say, yes, I want the gift. Yes. I'll book the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And then the conversion rates to like, the rest of the funnel would be similar. And it was like true when we used Sendosa or PFL for sending kind of traditional boxes. Like we would send a thousand boxes a month and we would get like 50 to 
75 responses back on those. It's um, way better from a cost perspective too, right? Because instead of, you don't even have to send out the hunt. You're totally, only sending the totally. stuff to who you know is is it you're talking to. That's great. Totally. It's one of the highest ROI things like I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Maybe like content marketing being the one, like at least content marketing has like an exponential return over time. Like for something that you spend it and you're, you're done with it, like direct mail boxes is great. We would give BDRs like 50 boxes a month. I got a rapid fire. I got a rapid fire. Yeah, you, Elizabeth, yeah. Elizabeth, you're awesome. Thank you for the question. I don't mean to Thanks. cut you off, but we got to we got to wrap up. So no, I, I want to give you two. See if you can give me two like one like quick answers to. We got to do we got to do quick hitters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of ABM focuses on net new customer acquisition. What are your favorite tactics to expand beyond a single buyer to go wider and expand the number of buyers? Yeah, one to one content, like create content specifically for that company. And what email it to them? Uh, outbound. I would love. I love to create like a, a report and says, "Hey, we have this report on a mic- for Microsoft to get get returns, like get them to respond back to share the report." Got it. I like that. Hey, I did an assessment of your website. Uh, That's re- right. Respond, respond back, and I can show you the results. Um, That's right. Okay, this is more for marketing ops, Dave Rigotti here. Which is, uh, as a marketing ops person, how do you level up from all the execution work? And I've heard this: like, how do I be in marketing ops, but level up to a place where I could run marketing one day, or, or you know, run demand gen, or run sub a subset of a team? Yeah, I think marketing ops people are the next CMOs. Like, we're already seeing it. So you're in a great spot for your career. I'm happy to go like deeper with you privately too, and just kind of understand the company you're at and give you kind of one-to-one advice. My um, general advice is the closer you are to pipeline, the better chance you have at taking over the marketing function. The closer you are to the output of marketing and owning the number, the better chance your leadership will see you as someone that can own the number. Oh, I'm not a marketing ops person, but I love that answer because I think, look, if you're in marketing ops, you're closest to knowing why meetings are where meetings get come, where does pipeline come from? And so if you can take that skill and translate that into like, hey, you know what? This channel's not working. And so we're gonna shift here and we're gonna do that. Okay, we got to exactly Dave right. Rigotti. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll do a virtual round of applause for Dave Rigotti, who is uh, our expert on this session. Also, uh, webinar host, Dave, I'm, I'll give you an endorsement on LinkedIn for your management of, of Zoom. I appreciate you. Uh, everybody that's listening, the reason I did this is because next month or so, we're launching DGM, DGMGU. And I'm gonna have live sessions like this with experts every single week, hopefully every other week. And you'll get access to all this. So now I'm giving giving it away because uh, people like Dave are awesome and I think they schooled us and now we're going to give him some good ROI back by promoting this content everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Dave, thanks, man. I appreciate you. We'll see you all later. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, folks, feel free to email me if I didn't get your question. I'm always happy to spend time offline and, and make sure that we, we get your question answered. Awesome. Take care. See you, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. If you got something out of this episode, then I know you'll get even more out of DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members in there right now, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company as a marketer. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, on vendors. You can get campaign ideas. I've seen people post, hey, what do you think of this ad? Do you think this copy would work? Is anybody using this new tool? What do you think of this vendor? Uh, And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing my own stuff too because it's just a community I want to be a part of. And because you're here listening to B2B Marketing Leaders, I got a special deal for you. You can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. 
After that, it's $10 a month. And let's be honest, it's super easy to expense at your company. It'll fly under the radar. Uh, There's 10 to 12 new posts every single day, and you can go back and see all the posts since the beginning of time. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you'll see the ROI from the community instantly, and that's why I want you to join for a dollar. I want to make it a no-brainer. So go and check it out. There's a link in the the show notes of this episode, a special link just for you to go and join for $1. 